Our second message, message this afternoon is from the pastor of the Believers in Christ Church of God in Redwood City, California, Jeff Henderson. His sermon is entitled, The Story of the Burning Coals. As children of the Most High God, we have faith in the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. In Luke 10:27, there was a young man who came to Jesus, and he asked the Lord, he said, what must I do to receive eternal life? And... Jesus said, Love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. I have some good neighbors. I like them. So I don't have a problem there. I'm good. But suppose my neighbors were my enemy. Well, that's a horse of a different color, right? Well, not so fast. Turn over to Matthew, the fifth chapter, Matthew 5. And verse 43, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust." So what do you do with your enemies? Well, over in Romans, the 12th chapter, we are told exactly what we're to do. In Romans 12, starting in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for uh, good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will, hope, you will heap coals of fire on his head. What does such an encounter look like? Well, I'm going to relate an encounter that I witnessed with the hope that the lesson from this story 
will be burned into your consciousness. The story unfolds the day before Thanksgiving of last year. I had occasion to go to one of our local shopping centers. It's terrible to travel on the day before uh, Thanksgiving, isn't it? You know. And I witnessed something which I shall always remember. There was someone who was looking for a parking space, and they saw a space that they, they wanted. Uh, somebody was getting ready to back out of that space. And so they were anxious to pounce upon that, that available spot. Another car is coming in from another direction in front of this person. That person stops and looks over at the other. Well, now we have a contest. A contest for the parking space. And what I saw this person do, I will remember all of the days of my life. Because this person immediately went on the offensive and made contact with the other driver and told them in no uncertain terms that that was their parking space. Back off, okay? And hands were flying, the person was very upset, very emotional, and kind of acting like a jerk, actually, when all was said and done. So what happened was the person who was tempted to go in front of this other person to get the parking space, they stopped and they waved the person on. And this person then proceeded to get into that parking space, got out of the parking space, and went into the store. Many of you will remember the story of Nathan and David. Nathan had a story that he told to David. And after telling David the story, he said something else. He says, you are that man. I am very uh, ashamed and embarrassed to say that I was that man. I was the jerk. I was the one who, in some respects, accosted this other driver, verbally at least, um, and uh, made a complete ass of myself. And where it came from, well, I can't say I'll never know because it's really rooted in my nature. In our nature, actually. Be careful how you laugh, my brothers and sisters, all right? Okay. Now, like Paul Harvey said, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. I went into the store. I came out of the store. And as I came out of the store, the other driver, a woman, almost like a grandmother type of woman, was walking as I came out. And so we made contact with each other. Needless to say, I was rather embarrassed because by that time I had a chance to really begin to think and reflect on what had just happened. And it was like I had an out-of-body experience. I mean, who was this person and what happened? So I didn't say anything. I mean, I was just shocked that, you know, here I am face-to-face -face with this person that I just made an ass of myself in front of. And she looked at me in the eyes, and she said, what you don't know 
is the fact that I was going to give you that parking space. And my father always taught me to respect women. And with that, she walked on. I never saw her before. I've never seen her after. But I want to tell you what that did to me. It was as if somebody had just stabbed me with a knife. All right? The concept of the burning coal. See, we always think about that for other people, right? Oh, those sinners out there, burning coals upon their head, okay? Suppose you're the person that gets the burning coals. I cannot begin to tell you the pain. I mean, I felt physical pain. You know, the Bible talks about coals, but, you know, it's not like literal, okay, you know, a bucket of coals, now we're going to pour it on your, on your head. It's the effect of what good does to somebody who has just done bad, right? And it, it's something that is just, it's, it's hard to explain. I went, I went back in the store because I had some other things to do. I came out, and by this time, I was overwhelmed with guilt. I mean, I, I had to find the woman. I had to apologize. I, I had to, to tell her how sorry I was and, uh, about what happened. And, but I couldn't find her car. I thought I knew her car, and I thought vaguely I saw where she parked. So I went looking all over and I couldn't find the car and I never saw her. And I never told the story to my wife all this time. Because these are those things that we like to keep in secret. We don't go around bragging about those things, do we? In fact, we don't want anybody to know. And the only reason I'm telling you is because I think that we can all profit by the lesson of this, of what happened. Because even as I look out on this audience, I see people that are sweet and kind and has a smile, and, and I just see nothing but good people. But something tells me that you folks still have human nature. And something tells me that every once in a while you go off the reservation. Okay. Okay. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Okay. Now, that was my personal experience with the burning coals. And I, I understand the scripture now. I really do. I really get it. And it's as if God, you know, Jesus said, Jeff, there's no way you're getting away with this, buddy. You know. And he orchestrated it. So when I came out of that store, she was walking right by me. I mean, she came right up there. And here we are, and I'm looking at her face to face. And I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm speechless, right? And then she says what she says. You know, I did evil to her. She gave me goodness in return. And it cut me to the quick. I mean, it just, I mean, I felt physical pain. I felt physical pain, as if someone stabbed me. I mean, it was, I, I, it's hard to describe. I understand the scripture now. I really do. And I'll tell you something else. 
I never want to experience that again. Too painful, too painful. There was another person that had an encounter with a burning coal. And we find that encounter back in the book of Isaiah. And we read about it in Isaiah 6, and starting in verse 1. It was in the year King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple of its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, and I really like this particular uh, version, it's the, um, the New Living Translation. I can kind of relate to it. He said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. When he saw the righteousness and the holiness of Almighty God, he knew what he was. He was a sinner. He was a sinner. And that, that knowledge, that encounter, you know, he says, it's all over. I am doomed. There's no way that I can exist, you know, in my present form, in my present condition. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips, and with it he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. We are all broken vessels. And on the very best day of our righteousness, on our very best day of righteousness, the Bible says we're filthy rags. One of my favorite shows years ago was a, uh, a TV series called Hill Street Blues. I don't know if any of you remember that. And what, they, uh, what one, one person said when one of the officers, one of the detectives would leave the protection of the... Um, uh, of the police station and go out, he would say, be careful out there. Be careful out there, right? There's danger out there. Be careful out there. That's what it is like for us, living among a sinful nation and world. Sin is out there. It's waiting for us. You go back and you read in Genesis, I mean, sin from the very beginning, sin from the beginning of creation of, of man to his fall and until uh, really the new heavens and the new earth. We know that Eve, her firstborn was Cain, all right? And then after that, 
she gave birth to Cain's brother Abel. Now we read, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the eternal. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, I like how the New Living Bible translates this. This made Cain both dejected and very angry, and his face grew dark with fury. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not what is right, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin, crouching. When I read that, I get a mental picture of a leopard, uh, some uh, animal, uh, a lion, right? Actually getting ready, getting ready to pounce, right? Here you are, you're coming. I'm ready for you. All right. Does not the Bible say that Satan goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? We are in a spiritual warfare, whether we know it or not. I mean, just because you don't think that sin is out there waiting for you, the devil, his, his greatest pleasure is making people think he doesn't exist. And a lot of people don't believe in the devil, right? They, oh, no tail, you know, there's, there's no such thing, you know. That gives him a, a lot of extra manipulative room. But I wonder sometimes if we are aware of the fact that when we leave the house in the morning, sometimes even before we leave the house in the morning, that we are uh, getting ready for spiritual battle. You know, why does the Bible talk about putting on the armor of God? You know, the sword, the breastplate, the, uh, the helmet, right? Preparing for what? Battle. And sometimes if you're not prepared, you know, the enemy can take a chunk out of you. I'm here to testify. All right? So yes, sin is crouching, ready, ready for you. Over in Hebrews, the seventh chapter, in verse 25, we read the following. Therefore, he is able to save completely, talking about Jesus, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Because he always lives to intercede for us. Jesus Christ, lives, lives to intercede for us. That's what he does. Sometimes we provide a lot of work for him, um, more so than we should. But I find great comfort in that. You know, when, when you have missed the mark, when you've sinned, when you've fallen short of what you should do, 
and we all have our moments, we all have our times, it is so comforting to know that we have one who basically is our advocate and understands completely the nature of our frail existence, the fact that we are broken vessels. And he lives, he lives to intercede for us. Hebrews 4, verse 14, and this is taken from the Living Bible. But Jesus, the Son of God, is our great high priest who has gone to heaven itself to help us. He went to heaven to help us. Remember he told the disciples, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send the comforter. He is in heaven working on our behalf. He has gone to heaven to help us. Therefore, let us never, never stop trusting in him. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. Other versions say he, uh, he is sympathetic to our weaknesses. Since he had the same temptations we do, though he never once gave way to them and sinned. But he knows. He knows. You know, all you have to do is just read the story of the disciples uh, and there are so many stories, isn't there? Uh, remember the, uh, the time that uh, uh, Peter and another disciple, I forget the other one, uh, went someplace and, and uh, the people did not receive them very well, right? And what was the first thing he, he said? Lord, we, we have to pray for those people. No. He said, should we call down fire from heaven, Lord, and destroy them? Right? Well, that's not the good side of your nature, is it? <laughs> you know, vindictive, maybe just a little bit. Maybe they were more than unkind. Maybe they told him, you know, get out. Get out of here, you bum. Whatever. But, I mean, he was a little bit, you know, unhappy with the situation, such that he wanted to kind of, you know, show them, you know, should we bring down fire upon them, Lord? <sighs> How many times did... did we see it recorded in the Bible where Jesus would say to a disciple, you know, you know, Peter, Peter, or, or whatever, uh, you know, as if to say, you know, ah, this, the, the sigh, you know. But he understood, you know, and, and yet he was so kind, and he was so gentle, and he was so understanding, and he was so nurturing and encouraging. And he's there doing it for us right now. All we have to do is receive it. All we have to do is accepted. So let us boldly come to the very throne of God and stay there to receive his mercy and to find grace to help us in our times of need. I like that. Not only do we go boldly to the throne of God, but this version says, and stay there. Right? That's where you want to be. That's where you be. You don't want to be on your own. 
It's like uh, animals, right? You want to stay with the herd. You don't want to leave the herd and be alone when, you know, the uh, other animals come to pray. But I, I find that so encouraging. Hebrews 7.25. He always lives to intercede for us. And the Bible talks about the fact that he is quick to forgive our sins if we ask. It's one thing to fall down. It's, another, it's one thing to fall short. But the first thing we've got to do is we've got to fess up. We can't be in denial. We can't try to hide it. I mean, it's, it's like on a giant screen in heaven. I mean, you ain't hiding a cotton-picking thing, you know. I mean, you know, I mean that was in, uh, in high definition, you know. Uh, my, my little uh, encounter uh, that I had there. May you never experience what I experienced. Never, never. One of the reasons I wanted to share this with you is because we are getting very close to a very special time, and that's Passover in the Days of Unleavened Bread. And if ever there was a time for us to meditate, to think about, just what kind of a savior we have, uh, it's now. So that when we take the bread, when we take the wine, we do so in a, a spirit of thanksgiving and thankfulness that we are redeemed by his blood. To think that we can sin, ask for forgiveness, and he can be like the X-Files, it never happened, <laughs> right? And it's so easy to beat up on ourselves and to reflect on the mistakes we've made. I do that sometimes, I don't know about you. Sometimes from out of nowhere, I'll get flashbacks to things that I've done in my past, and I just kind of cringe, you know, and it, yeah, you know. But where does that come from? Oh, I guess if you were an unbelieving uh, scientists or something, you could say, well, you see, the brain sometimes triggers neurons that causes uh, things to happen, and you get flashbacks uh, to events and things like that. Maybe there's some truth in that. I don't know. But I also think that sometimes the devil likes to bring those things up to make us feel bad, to make us feel defeated, to make us think, I am so unworthy, I'll never, it's like Isaiah, I am undone, I am doomed, I can never make it, right? I mean, look at all the, the, the things I've done, you know, who could ever love me for, for being the jerk that I am, right? And yet, Jesus says, you know, hey, I love you so much, I died for you, you know. I don't know if you can get much beyond that. So here we are, just a few days out, a very short period of time that will take us to the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. It's a great time to renew ourselves, to rededicate ourselves. And yes, you know, it's, it's not that you save up all your sins and during this one magic moment of time, you do this and then they go away. I mean, every time he says, you know, uh, if you ask for forgiveness, I am quick, quick. You know, 
I don't say, well, I'll put it on my agenda and think about it and get back to you, okay? You know, he says he's quick to forgive us. I mean, how beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? And how beautiful was that woman that I don't know, and one day I will meet, <laughs> and I've yet to apologize to her. But something tells me that certainly at that day and that hour, she was a better Christian than I, <laughs> all right? And for her to say to me, and what you don't know is the fact that I was going to give you that parking space. You didn't have to fight for it. You didn't have to berate me. You didn't have to go to war over the freaking parking spot. I would have given it to you, right? I did bad. She did good. Coals of fire upon me. Is that simple enough? I hope you will remember that. I hope you will remember the lesson. I don't, well, I don't want you to remember me and how bad I was. That I do not want you to remember, all right? I want you to remember the lesson, the lesson of all this, all right? And, and really, you know, I mean, this is the first time that Kathy's hearing this because I was so ashamed that, you know, I could not. And I usually share a lot of things with her because that's just the way I am. We're very, very close and, and I share things. But this was one of those things where, man, I wanted this in the closet. <laughs> you know, this is buried. We're taking the shovel and we're burying the sucker, you know, six feet deep easily, you know. But I don't know why. It just came to me that, that maybe, and I prayed that, you know, whatever I said would be for the glory of God. This is not about me. It's actually about God. It's about his goodness, his mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness, and the fact that as long as we're drawing breath and we keep the faith, we walk in the faith, and we trust him and we believe him, those who believe upon me, Jesus said, right, will inherit eternal life. And I don't know about you, but I want to, I want to walk into eternity with Jesus Christ and the Father. And I know that if we keep keeping on, if we never give up, and if we, as this translation says, Come boldly to the throne of God and stay there that we will all be meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns.